Jesus is speaking. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone, shout everyone, in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone, shout everyone, will praise your heavenly Father. God, give us illumination and insight, and let us not just hear with our minds, but let us hear with our hearts, would you? Be transformational. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. First, let me just talk about you and vision. Uh, I believe that, first and foremost, that God calls all believers to function out of a place of vision. And some of you have been around the church for a while. You'll be familiar with Proverbs 29, 18 that says, without vision, the people perish. But I particularly like the message uh, rendition of that same passage. Here's what it says. If people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what he reveals, they are most blessed. Vision for your life really boils down to your sense of what God is doing with your life. And how God desires to connect your life to his greater purpose, his greater story in the world. Everybody shout, see what God is doing. You don't need to see everything that God is doing in order to catch a glimpse of what God is doing and then begin to shape a sense of vision for who you are called to be in this season. Now, everybody shout, great vision. Great vision, and that's what you and I should have, really has two components. One is gall. Just mitigated gall. I like that word. Say it with me. Say gall. Mitigated audacity to believe that God has placed you on the planet, that God has connected you with a greater purpose, regardless of your history, regardless of what your circumstances are, regardless of where you were born, regardless of whatever, that there is nothing that can eradicate the notion that God has has carved out a place in his great purpose for your life. And one ought to have a sense of gall that says that God has called me for that. Then... The other is grit. Everybody shout grit. Grit. That's the ability to not quit. To stay with it all the way through. Now, as it relates to gall, when we're talking about personal vision, the first thing that we're talking about is a sense of the big picture. How does my life connect to God's purpose? That sense of big picture ought to be ambitious so that it is so big that it's scary and yet so big that it is inspiring, so big that it certainly will not happen unless God shows up supernaturally, so practical until you realize that it certainly will not happen unless you show up. You have a contribution to make. Ambitious. 
There's a fellow by the name of Eric Weinmeyer. I massacred that name, but you get the idea. He's important because in May 2001, he became the first person to climb Mount Everest blind. And there's a billboard that they have across the internet and in various places across the country. This is his picture. Here's what it says. Climbed Everest blind. Then it says vision. Helen Keller puts it this way. She says the only thing worse potentially than not uh, uh, no she says uh, not having eyesight is not the worst tragedy in the world. The worst tragedy in the world is having eyesight but no vision. And what uh, Eric demonstrates and reminds us of is that regardless of your disability, regardless of what neighborhood you came out of, regardless to the history of abuse that might have stained your life, regardless to, to what addiction might be holding you back right now, the fact of the matter is that God has called out a great purpose for your life and it begins with having a sense of, the, of God's vision, God's sense of call and in a sense we all have a mountain standing in front of us might be a mountain of a challenge in a marriage. It might be a challenge to finish school. It may be the challenge to raise up. But what, what God teaches us with Eric's life is that if you allow him to infuse a sense of God's purpose, vision, that mountain that looks like a great obstacle today becomes an opportunity tomorrow. Yeah, celebrate that. Give God a hand praise. That's right. Eric didn't just climb Mount Everest. He has climbed all of the highest peaks on seven continents blind. And now he travels the world inspiring people to not be limited by any barrier but have vision. It's a notion of goal. Who are you to think that you can climb Mount Everest? Didn't somebody tell you you're blind? I'm a person who God has a hand on his life. And I'm able to do exceedingly abundantly more than we can ask or think. That ought to be our motto. Secondly, there's this notion of grit. Everybody shout grit. You cannot have, you cannot rather uh, pursue a great vision without grit. Because a great vision anticipates Challenge and difficulty and delay and setback. It, 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 it while also anticipating success. Look at Habakkuk 2 3. Here's what Habakkuk says as God speaks to the prophet Habakkuk. He says, This vision is for a future time. It, it describes the end where you're going to end up at. And, and it, it, I'm going to definitely fulfill it, God says. But watch the second part of the verse, what he says. If it seems, everybody shout slow, slow in coming, wait patiently. It will surely come. That's where the, the grit 
the tenacity to stay with it. The life knocked me down, I get back up. Life sets me back, but I stand back up. That's, everybody shout grit. Grit. And lastly, there's focus. Uh, one has to maintain focus over the long haul if you're going to pursue a vision. And that focus has to have flexibility built into it. For example, how many of you know sometimes God will not come through the front door because he's decided to come through the back door? And sometimes <laughs> he'll just negate the front and the back door and come through a window. Yeah, I always talk about my grand-aunt in this context. She had had the, the vision to, to bear children. And by the way, God's vision doesn't always have to be that you're going to be an engineer, or you're going to be out there uh, doing some horrendous external things. There's nothing more noble than raising children, building a family. And, and her vision was to raise kids and, of her own. But by the time she got to the end of her 40s, she'd been told she'd never have kids. But then God came through the back door of her generosity as she opened her heart to this little scarred baby boy that was me. And she ended up raising me as her son. A little flexibility. Sometimes God fulfills the vision for your life in a way that doesn't always look like you the way you thought it would look. So at the end of the day, you got to keep releasing it back to God. It's his vision for your life. So, here's your homework. As I transition, everybody shout homework. I mean, why come to church if you don't get any homework? <laughs> it's your homework. I, I, I want you to go home and over the course of the next week, I want you to spend a little time every day. And I want you to begin to pray and reflect, God, what is your vision for my life in this, in this season, in this slice of time. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to, as you pray, I want you to pray and reflect about your, your gifts and your talents. Because uh, a fellow by the name of Eric Lydell, for example, he's a Scottish Olympian star a number of decades ago. Here's what he said as he thought about his own gifts and talents. He says, God made me fast. And whenever I run, I feel the pleasure of God. What is it as you pray through, God, these gifts and these talents you've given me, uh, that, that when you use them in right ways, uh, uh, that you might feel the pleasure of God. Pray through that. Boy, pray about your passion. What is it that you love doing so well that if at the end of the day you would pay somebody to let you do it? Or what is it that fires you up, that makes you angry about the brokenness of life? Maybe it's a sense of injustice. Oftentimes, God calls us uh, into a fresh vision out of the things that have made us angry, out of the things that we don't like about life. That's God calling us to say, I, I want you to be my instrument to address that. Then you know, everybody shout dreams. You know, pray through your gifts and your passion and then your dreams. You, you shape it. You put it all before God. You say, God, what is the vision for me? And then I want you to take whatever it is that you discern and I want you to write it down in just 
one sentence, not a chapter, not a book, just everybody shout one sentence. One sentence. I aspire blank, 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 blank. I aspire blank, 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 blank. Now I'm going to give you a a, a placeholder in just a minute. I'll back into this text. This text is Jesus is really teaching on uh, this message which is called the Sermon on the Mount. It's all about vision. His vision for the kingdom of God. The, 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 uh, uh, the vision that also shapes who we are here at NBCC. It starts verse 14. He's talking collectively and individually to those who have gathered. You are the light of the world. Now let me give you a placeholder. Until you figure out what your vision is, if, especially if you're a Jesus follower, I want you to repeat after me, and you can write this down, because this is your vision placeholder. I, I actually think it's a great vision statement for you to have, but you might come up with something different. But, but at least now, everybody shout, placeholder. Here it is, here it is. Repeat after me. Say, I aspire, I aspire. to be a Jesus light in the world. Let's say it again. I aspire to be a Jesus light in the world. You can be a Jesus light starting at home and on your job. Well, what does it mean to be a Jesus light? I aspire to love like Jesus loved. What does it mean to be a Jesus light? I aspire uh, to operate with the same wisdom that, that, that Jesus operates, to see the world the way Jesus sees the world, and therefore be a Jesus light in the world. Shout Jesus light. Now, let me just pull out some elements out of this text that's unique to this community that Jesus is teaching and to this one. First of all, the Sermon on the Mount starts in verse 1. Most of us read it through the uniqueness of our narrow lens. But the first thing that pops out at me as I read this Sermon on the Mount, which starts in chapter 5 and actually stretches through several chapters to the end of chapter 7, is what I want to call radical diversity. Everybody shout, Diversity. It's in the text, but we often overlook it. For example, Jesus begins, here's what happens. He's teaching. Crowds and crowds and crowds of people have gathered around him. And, and after he's come to a season of teaching, and they're all there, tons and tons of people. He climbs up a little higher, takes those who are most committed to him, called disciples, and, 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 and looking at these crowds that have been a part of his teaching community, he begins to teach these disciples, and, and, and as you listen to the teaching, you sense the diversity that's in the group. First of all, the crowd's made up of Jewish people, but there's also some Gentiles there as well, so it's multi-ethnic. Uh, and then secondly, it's got men and women and, and adults and children. They're all there, no question about that. And then thirdly, he starts in verse 3 and he says, he says, God blesses the poor. And, and as, he, as he's looking at the crowd, you know why? Because he sees some poor people there in the crowd. But, but he also sees some wealthy people there in the crowd. So watch how he frames it. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. 
For such is the kingdom of God. Well, what are you saying? He said, he's, he's, he's kind of speaking to both groups. And what he's saying is to the wealthy people, he's saying, you may be full of all kinds of worldly materials. But if you do not realize your need for God, you're worse off than poor. So the poor and the wealthy were there. Then he looks in the crowd and he sees those who are grieving. Some sense of loss. He says, God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. He keeps looking in the crowd and he sees those who are humble. These are get, who, who allow, who, who, who in a sense gives preferential treatment to others who in, in front of them. And so maybe somebody's giving up a seat for an older person to sit. Maybe somebody's passing their lunch on to a younger person who didn't have a, have a lunch. And he's looking at the humble that's in the crowd. And he says, and God blesses those who are humble. And yet in the same crowd, I guarantee you, there were those who were self-centered and, and self-focused and, and, and all about themselves in the same crowd. Shout diversity. And then he looks in the crowd and he, and, he, and he spots those who've been on the wrong side of justice. And he says, God bless those who are hungry and thirsty for justice. But I assure you that while he's speaking to the victims of injustice, in the same crowd are some perpetrators of injustice too. In the same crowd. There was something unique about Jesus that allowed him to attract people from different ethnicities and from different uh, political stuff and to attract victims and victimizers. In other words, sinners of all shapes and sizes. There was just something about, about, about how he loved and how he elevated that, that, that kind of gathered a radical diversity. Shout radical diversity. I am, that's a unique uh, feature of our vision. We're committed here to radical diversity. Last weekend I was in Boston. And some of you may recall, I, I sent a video back and I told you why I was there. A uh, young woman by the name of Reverend Desiree Lawson. Uh, invited me to preach uh, her installation. She was being installed as the first African-American female pastor of an all-white Presbyterian church. Celebrate that. That's celebrating material. And y'all, this was the highlight of my life for several reasons. One of the highlights of my life. One was that, that I had been a part of her discipleship journey 20 plus years ago when I got to be the pastor of Roxbury Presbyterian Church, which was there in the Boston area, an all-African-American church. Uh, we started off with 90 days of prayer, and her family was praying for those in their family circles who didn't know Jesus. And Desiree was one of those folk who had been disconnected, and, and, and within the 90 days, she started coming to church regularly. And then I watched that she moved from coming to church regularly to coming to Wednesday night Bible study. And she got serious about studying God's word and praying. And then I watched her move from that to taking on a small leadership position in the church. Then she moved from that to being a, one of my students in a lay ministry development uh, program that we had. And then she moved from that. And one day she came to me and she said, Pastor, I believe God is calling me to go to seminary. Can somebody say vision? 
vision. And, 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 and then a few years later, she graduated. And nine years later, y'all, I, I went and, and, and preached her installation in Flint. Because the Presbyterian there, they had a white Presbyterian church and an African-American Presbyterian church. They dissolved those two churches and brought together, created a brand new multi-ethnic church. And she was called as the first pastor of that church. Shout vision. And so for nine years, she pastored and developed that community. And then when that assignment was over, uh, uh, here she is being called back home to the Boston area, to the suburbs of Boston, suburb Presbyterian Church, now being installed as this first African-American pastor. I can tell you how delighted I was to preach that installation. But the second reason I was delighted, now get this, because I told you that vision requires grit. Stick to itness, because vision just doesn't come forth overnight. 22, 23 years ago, the former pastor of Sudbury Press was a friend of mine, Pastor George Saylor. And George pastored Sud Press, which was all white Presbyterian Church. I pastored Roxbury Presbyterian, which is all African American Presbyterian Church. He was in the suburbs. I was in the inner city. And George and I moved by this vision of a Jesus who has this capacity to attract radical diversity. Neither one of us was, was, was satisfied with just the folk we had in our pews. And, and, and the Holy Spirit was at work. Before we knew it, we were coming together. This white pastor, this black pastor, and we started going to each other's churches praying that, that God would stir and begin to create a radical diversity. And then some other pastors joined us, and we had a small pastor's group. But this is how God works, y'all. That, 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 that George has been gone from that church, I guess, 10 years. And here we are. The church has gone through another two passes. It's been up. It's been down. All kinds of challenges. And yet the prayers that we started praying 23 years ago, ultimately God brought those prayers full circle when last weekend I preached the installation of their first African-American pastor. Here was a church that says we have the gall, come on now, the unmitigated audacity to call our first African-American pastor because we are wholeheartedly committed to having a radical diversity. It took 20 plus years, but God was faithful. But y'all, this is what makes me really want to shout right here. Because they invited me to come back, not only because I was Desiree's kind of father in the ministry, but because they were committed to radical diversity. See, here's what God did. Watch this. I kept praying 17 and a half years. I was at Rock Springs. Praying, God send radical diversion. God did all kind of amazing things at Roxbury. But did I tell you that sometimes God will come through the window? Uh, rather than sending the diversity into the Roxbury's, God picked me up. Y'all ain't listening. Moved me from the East Coast to the West Coast. Dropped me down in Redwood City. Come on down. And all of a sudden, I'm surrounded by answered prayer. Come on now. God is faithful. Salvation. It takes grit. It takes grit. It takes grit. It takes grit. You can't give up on God. You can't stop. 
give God time to maneuver. So, you know, I went back there to preach to say to Sudbury, I said, I celebrate your goal. I celebrate your audacity. And I'm here to tell you that your vision is doable. Your vision is practical because God is doing it in California. And I know the same God can do it here in the Boston area. And so here at NBCC, we're, we're committed to radical diversity, to reach those who feel far from God, from every walk of life, from every political perspective, from every class perspective, from every standard, a, 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 a challenging perspective of life. We're saying, whosoever will, come, 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 come. Second thing that makes us unique in how we do ministry, this comes out of this text, is that we have a, a, a saying here. Pastor Dan dealt with it a little bit last week. He, he talked about it in terms of trusting the people to God. Here's how I talk about it. Same principle. Relationships first. Rule second. <laughs> Say it with me. Say relationships first. Y'all said so quietly. Let's try it again. <laughs> Say relationships first. Relationship first. Rule, second. Rule second. All right, all right, all right. It, it rises out of the text. When you get home, I want you to read chapters 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew. And here's what you're going to discover. Jesus does not throw away the rules. I'll come to that in a minute. He just doesn't start with the rules. Come on, he starts with relationship. He, he starts with a, with a, with, with, a, with, he's one who is compassionate as he engages all those different kind of people in that mountain as he talks about the sermon on the moon. Pastor Dan last weekend talked about um, a church, and I thought it illustrated some churches that I knew. And I'm not dogging churches, I'm just saying that that's just not the way we do it. And he talked about there's a church that, uh, he knew once in his history that had on the front door about 10 things you had to check off before you could come in there and be a part. Well, that's not how we do it. Because if, if I had stuff to check off, come on now, I wouldn't be in here. <laughs> come on now, because we're all sinners falling by good side. All sinners, come on now, have fallen and, and are saved by God's redeeming grace. Why would I tell you, you don't know Jesus, you don't know nothing about Jesus, and I put in your face a set of rules that doesn't make sense to you because you don't know Jesus. Huh? Relationships first. You know, second thing, say, well, how does this work, this thing about relationships first? I'm talking about the uniqueness of our vision. Well, um, you know, uh, it works because y'all sitting in rows. You don't know the folk around you. You might have come here with somebody, you know that person, but you don't know a lot of the folk around you. And as long as they smell okay, it doesn't bother you. <laughs> you just come on in and go. But if you really want to grow in your in your in your walk with Jesus, come on now. You you you've got to you got to go to the next level of relationship. 
And how did you do that? We have 50 small groups all over the Bay Area, and we invite you to join or start one, right? And, and what happens is, now it gets challenging, because then you're sitting in a circle in a small group. And when you sit in that circle in a small group, then uh, uh, you might find a victim and a victimizer in the same circle. Come on, I'm talking about class and politics and all that kind of stuff. So, so how, how, how do you build a relationship between them? Well, here's the deal. When Jesus looked out and he said, blessed are those who are poor, he, he wasn't talking statistically. He knew. He was looking at people and he knew there were stories of, of, of poverty in that group, right? And, and he saw rich people and those rich people had some stories about their lives that, that drove them to wealth. And when he said the humble, he felt the humble had stories behind why they were humble. The self-centered, there were stories behind why they were self-centered. Come on now. Uh, 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 those who were, who were on the wrong side of injustice had stories about being on the wrong side of injustice. Those who the perpetrators were stories. There were stories that shaped them into perpetrators. Watch this. So what Jesus is inviting us to do before you pull out the rule, come on now, learn one another's stories. Because you may think you don't like me because of how I vote. You may think you don't like me because of an ethnicity. You might think you don't like me because of a left or right leaning statement, but baby, get to know my story. Get to know your story. Let me tell you what's in the story. In everybody's story, there's a dominant pain, something that hurts you. In everybody's story, there's some fear. In everybody's story, there's some sense of need. And it filters out in politics and theology and all that kind of stuff. So here what's unique. We challenge people. Get to know one another's stories. And then I say to you, I may not agree with your, your ultimate conclusion, but I can respect your story. I may not agree with your theology or your economics or your politics. Come on now. But I can acknowledge your pain and your fear. I may not agree with some posture or some lifestyle that you have, but, 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 but I can empathize with some need that you have. Come on now. And, 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 and I can treat you with an incredible degree of respect and loving kindness. Oh, do you know what is the difference? Let me tell you. What does Jesus see when he looks at the Oracle Arena? It's not the Oracle. Now, no, it's the thing in San Francisco, whatever they call that. The AT&T. What is it? Chase. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In a few months, Jesus is going to look down and he's going to see the chase. Guess what? It's going to be full of radical diversity. What's the difference between, y'all ain't listening to me, the radical diversity that he sees in Chase and the radical diversity that he sees here? Let me, let me, let me give you one more point that, that I think is important. Relationship first. Engage one another's stories. Watch it. But don't do away with the rules. Watch, watch Matthew. Verse 17, in the same chapter, chapter 5, verse 17, he said, Don't, Jesus is talking. Don't misunderstand why I have come. 
I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, 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 no. I came to accomplish their purpose. Right? So skip over a verse and then watch this. So if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you'll be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. Then say, I wouldn't let you in. Just say, you'll be called the least. So, but if anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. What is he talking about, y'all? Let me help you. It's a little bit what PDM was talking about last week. Here's what he's talking about. See, Jesus says, I, I, I have come, and I now have the ability to reach into the law, into the rules, and pull out the wisdom that is embodied. And what I'm going to do is feed you the wisdom, y'all ain't listening, that comes from the mind of God. And then after relationship, he starts feeding them, right? Just go on through chapter 5. Watch what he teaches. He, he starts off by teaching. He says, he says, he, he says uh, 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 don't let your anger overtake you. Wisdom of God. It's going to mess you up if you let your anger overtake you, right? Then he said, watch your lust. It'll lead you into adultery. Watch out. That's going to mess up your life. He said, don't you trifle with marriage and just get in and out and in and out and in and out. And he's teaching about divorce. Come on now. Uh, he said, watch out. Don't you live out of a place of revenge. Oh, no. He says, I want you to learn to love those who despitefully use you. Do good to them that would do evil to you. Pray for those who are your enemies. Come on. And, 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 and what he's doing, he's Lifting up a wisdom. Watch it. Watch it. Watch it. Here's what I'm trying to say. Uh, when we gather here, we get into relationship with one another. We exercise grace and mercy with one another. But there is a shared covenant as Jesus followers that we want to live our best life. And in order to live our best life, come on now, God's got some wisdom that he's calling us up to. And it's my job to teach you what thus says God out of his place of wisdom. And it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict you. Come on now, I can't force you with a rule, but the Holy Ghost, if I preach his word, can change my heart and your heart and our heart. Come on now, give God a hand praise. All right. Here's what I'm trying to get to. What does God see? When he looks at the Chase building, radical diversity, yes, but there's no relationship in that building. We don't know each other. All we know is Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, come on now, and some of them other bookers that done got away from us. Y'all ain't listening. And, 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 and being in that building, that doesn't bring out our best behavior. I've been there, y'all. I've seen it bring out some of our worst behavior. I've seen some bad language. Y'all ain't listening. I've seen some craziness. You don't live your best life by going to the chase. God looks down. He sees a gathering of people celebrating basketball. But when he looks down at us, he says, you are the light of the world. Because you're getting in the relationship with the excitement. Now, come on, come on. You are the light of the world. Come on now. Because you're trying to live differently than everybody else. Come on now. I'm stretching you. You allow me to stretch you. Come on, you allow me to, to, to begin to massage your heart and change your values and change your vision. And while you'll never be perfect on the planet, as long as you seek to be faithful, he declared, you are the light of the world. 
city that sits on a hill in Silicon Valley. Everybody shout vision. Vision, 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 vision. All right. Let me end it here. I can't see the time, but I know I must be close. <laughs> uh, uh, what time are we in? The 10 minutes after? Okay. Huh? 105. I got 10 minutes? Okay, okay, good. I'm trying to watch it. All right. What makes us delight? Uniquely, we're radically committed to diversity. Anybody can walk through these doors. Anybody. And we're going to tell you Jesus loves you. We're going to tell you about the grace of God. And then we will teach you and challenge you with the wisdom of God. Yeah, and then we invite you to do the hard work of stretching into relationships. That's unique, right? Uh, uh, and then here, here's the other thing that sets us apart. We're radically committed to Jesus. Radically. This is not a country club. This is not a sorority. This is not a fraternity. I've I've got ambition. I want to see hundreds turn into tens of thousands of Jesus followers and Jesus lovers. But I'm not trying to build a country club. We got enough of them. Come on now. Uh, we're, we're called to build a community of people who are radically committed to Jesus. This is why Matthew reminds us of Jesus sitting at the top of the mountain because he's, he's, he wants the Jews to remember that uh, historically Moses would have been sitting there. And what he's saying about Jesus is that Jesus now is the highest standard. Come on now. He's the, he's the highest standard for how I love. He's the highest standard for how I challenge. He's the highest standard for how I comfort. He's the highest standard for how I empathize with others. Come on now. He is the standard for how I try to live my life. Come on now. And, and then he is the only Savior. Shout only Savior. Only Savior. Matthew makes no bugs about this. He's saying that, that, you know, the scripture says that there's only one name on the heavens whereby people will be saved. And that's Jesus. Now listen, I believe that. I, and listen, I believe that while respecting other religions, I believe that while recognizing I can learn some stuff from other religions. I, I don't have no issue with that. And, 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 but, but, but the point here is that only Jesus shed his blood on Calvary's cross. Only Jesus died on, and was buried. Only Jesus rose from the dead. And, and, and what, what Scripture tells us is that if you're going to slip into eternity, you got to go by Jesus. Come on now. And Jesus, listen, he can do anything he wants with his blood. He applies his life as he sees fit. You know, he can apply it to Muslims and he can apply it to this person, this group, that group. I don't know how he's going to do it. And I'm not going to try to tell him. I'm so glad he's God and I'm not. Come on now. But all I know is this. Nobody can do me like Jesus. Nobody loves like Jesus. Nobody's grace-filled like Jesus. Nobody reflects God's heart like Jesus. Here we preach Jesus, Lord, Savior, standard of our lives. That's what we do. Unapologetically. uniqueness of NBCC. Don't you want to be a part of something like that? And Jesus looks at us in our imperfections, including the preacher, but sees us as we seek to be faithful. And he says, you are the light 
of the world. And then verse 15, I have the end here. Then verse 15, he says this. So why hide it under a bushel? He said, if you got a light like that, you ought to set it up on a stand. And well, that, that, that's why we're raising up a campus in San Jose, putting the light up on the sand. Come on now. I'm at the same lights in Redwood City in San Jose. And when we get things settled in San Jose, I hope to see us raise up another stand in, in, in the East Bay. Come on now. At another campus. I, I, I want to see as many campuses as God will allow us to raise up so that, come on, the text says, so that everyone, shout everyone can experience the grace of God. Shout everyone can see the power of God. Shout everyone can experience the light of God in a dark world. Give God a hand praise. Amen. Amen. Amen.